0: Good morning, and if you're joining us on the live stream, thrilled that you are there with us. And uh, it's really been awesome getting back together. We know not everybody can and not everybody should, not everybody feels comfortable, but for those of you who do, it's really, really, really enjoyed uh, kind of being with each other and singing together and praying with each other and just having people that you can uh, look at. It's great. So uh, we are thrilled that you guys are here with us. I will tell you, I'm uh, consistently running out of breath singing with the mask on, but it is what it is, so we're going to be okay. Uh, if you have your Bible, open the book of John. We're still uh, working through the book Book of John together, and as we started this series, and we've really tried to remind you every week, too, of what John said, or his intentions... For writing this account of the life of Christ. In John chapter 20, uh, he gives two verses and he said, this is the, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm driving at. This is the aim. This is the intention. He says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. I've written these that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the sent one, that he is the savior, that he is the promised king and deliverer, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then if you remember what Tyler set up for us, uh, Tyler uh, a few weeks ago took us through that God is love, Jesus is God. Uh, And in Jesus, God shows us how he loves us and then how we are to love others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, the challenge and the encouragement to you has really been just stick with us, whether in person or online, stick with us in this study of Jesus. And as we are looking at John's account, really slow down, slow down and look at the person Of Jesus, because if you've ever kind of wondered, well, what does God want me to know about Himself? We see it in the person of Jesus. And what John is going to show us, really all through his account, is that God wants you to know that he loves you, which is why he sent his son, Jesus. And I don't know if you've had a moment in your life where you're like, I can look at that moment, I can look at that event, or look at that particular time, and that's when I really knew that I was loved. Um, My wife and I, when we were dating, we dated uh, long distance for quite a long time, like four or five years and there was a moment in our relationship uh, that got pretty pretty shaky, pretty rocky, and it looked like um our relationship was actually gonna end. And so um I sent her I sent her this. This is extremely romantic, you have no idea. This is a fourth generation iPod, uh, 20 gigs, 5,000 songs, uh, and it was $300 at the time, which was literally every penny I had. I mean, this was like a Hail Mary shot, like, don't break up with me, Uh, um, and it worked. We got three kids, so best uh, 300 bucks I ever spent. Actually, my wife was here last hour, and she's like, that relationship really breaks down because you were a knucklehead, and I should have broke up with you, but... um, (laughs) But she didn't. So, but because, and I sent her this, I sent her this because love sends its very best. Love sends its very best. And what we're seeing in John chapter 1 is John show us how love sends its very best. The father sends his son, Jesus. He doesn't just send some religious figure. He doesn't just send a great option. He's sending the promised one, his only son. And he says, I'm sending Jesus so that you can know that I love you and that you can trust me. So that you would trust and truly believe that you are loved by God. Now, how do you know that? How can I know that? Well, how do you know, how do you know that anybody loves you? You think about what people do. Uh, And if you think about your, your favorite movies or books or stories or even songs, uh, when authors and directors, when they want to convey, uh, that characters love each other, um, they show that love initiates. They show that love moves towards. I, I used to um, be a part of leading a, a ministry on this campus called 710. It's a community of young adults and college students. And I would see this kind of thing. There's one person who really liked it over there. Uh, and, I, and I would see this kind of stuff in 710 all the time. Like when a guy would start to like a, a, a gal, they would move away from their friend group of guys and move towards this girl. And that was always the kind of the constant complaint was like, oh man, you never hang out with us anymore. You never spend any time with us because you've moved towards. And then as it started to dawn on these young men that like, oh, I really like this woman and, I, and I, I might even want to marry her, he would start to send even more, like more text messages, more gifts, more flowers, more awkward vibe. They would just send more. They move towards. And in the award-winning film Princess Bride, Princess Buttercup, she says, I know My Wesley will come for me. I know he will come for me. Well, how does she know that? Because of love. True love. That's how she knows. Love does not sit still if the beloved is far away. It moves towards. It sends. Love also sacrifices. Love sacrifices. It will give itself for the sake of the beloved. In the Titanic, Jack... He gives of his life to hold up that door so that Rose would be spared. Every guy looking at this is like, there's totally enough room for both of them on that door. If she would just scooch, just scooch just a little bit, this is a totally different story. In the classic love story, Avengers Endgame, Iron Man, with a snap of his finger, saves the lives of his friends and defeats evil by giving of himself. Bruno Mars said, I'd catch a grenade for you. <laughs> Step in front of a train for you. It's so dark, those <laughs> lyrics. But why do we sing it? Why, do, why does he say that? Because he knows that if we love someone, we'll sacrifice for them. Love surrenders its body to save those that it loves. Love stays Love sends, it moves forward. Love sacrifices and love staves even when things are difficult. Noah, he stays and he reads the notebook to Allie even when she can't remember who he is. That's from a movie called The Notebook, guys. And if you've never seen it, ask any woman. They'll tell you all about it. We do this in weddings. Whenever I officiate a wedding, it always includes... A part of for better, for worse, rich or poor in sickness and health till death do us part. That's how you know it's legit when they say, I will be with you through every season of life. Love sends it best. Love sacrifices. Love moves towards. Love stays. And directors and authors and songwriters and storytellers, they know this. And so that's why they write that stuff. And John knows this too, which is why in 1 John chapter 4, he says this, God showed how much he loved us by doing what? By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, John says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so what John is saying, and we're going to get into John uh, 1, 6 through 13 right now. But John is saying this. He's saying, look, when we saw Jesus, we saw something. And when we saw it, it was lit up for us. It illuminated for us. It revealed to us this unshakable reality that God loves us. And John is saying, I saw something in Jesus that convinced me that heaven knows my name and that God cares about me. John chapter 1, verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 6 says this There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. Now, maybe you've got a church background, maybe you don't, but the John that's being mentioned here is not the one who's writing the gospel of John. This is a reference to someone that we're going to meet a little bit later, John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a front runner uh, for Jesus. He comes as a herald of the good news that the Messiah is here. And John is pointing towards Jesus as the Son of God, who is the Lamb of God, who is the light of the world. And, And John, the author, Here is saying, look, John the Baptist is not the light, but he bears witness to the light with his life. So you have this pre Jesus John the Baptist that's being mentioned here saying Jesus' life is light as life and light. And then this post ascension account from a different John saying that Jesus is life and light. Believe in him, trust in him. That's the John that's being mentioned there. Verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Is that God sent something? Love has sent the very best, sent someone in the person of Jesus, someone who is both Word, the Logos which is wisdom which would have appealed to the greco-roman hearers there and light the photizō to which means to illuminate to reveal which would have appealed to the hebrew listeners so wisdom and light true wisdom true light have been sent by the father in the person of jesus christ his son god sends wisdom this is the way that the world works the best in the person of jesus and illumination and revelation in jesus t- to light up the truth and to expose darkness. To expose the truth of our own sin and our own brokenness. And to expose and to reveal the truth about the mercy and the love of God. There's light that has come to illuminate and to reveal My kids are still young enough to where they have a nightlight in their room. And my oldest daughter, Evie, the way that her room's situated, her bed faces her closet. And every night she'll just say, Dad, can you just make sure that my closet door is closed? And it's because if you've ever been in a room where like there's an open door or a weird shadow or something, you're laying there in bed and you're looking like, I'm convinced there's somebody in a tall coat like standing in the corner of my room. Something is there, and your mind just kind of goes crazy. So there are a lot of times if her closet door is open, she'll be like, somebody's in my closet. Somebody is in the closet. Close that door, because if they're in there, I want them to at least wait till morning. where they come get me? But close the door. And so why, what, what do I do? I go and I turn on the light to illuminate and to reveal the truth about what is there. So what is the light doing that John's talking about? It's bringing revelation, and there's two types of revelation that John is going to describe, uh, there's unrecognized revelation, and there's unwanted revelation, unrecognized revelation and unwanted revelation. In verse 10, listen to what John says, "He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. There's a British theologian from the 1800s. His name is Brooke Foss Westcott, and he says this: He says, "No man is wholly destitute of illumination of the light." In nature and life and conscience, it makes itself felt in various degrees to all. Meaning, what he's saying there is something that's very true. Meaning, no one anywhere on earth can say they haven't had some revelation of the light of the world who in the beginning was there, like John talks about. Because they have creation, because they've been created in the image of God. And because they have a conscience. The psalmist would say it this way in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. If you know any of the writings of C.S. Lewis, this was a constant theme of his where he was connecting uh, kind of the ache of the human soul and the creative order of the world. It's like when you go to the Grand Canyon or you see a beautiful sunset like we have here in Arizona, you just realize that there's something just so much bigger out there. When This summer, uh, my family and I did a little road trip and we went through Colorado. We went to Black Canyon National Park. And in Black Canyon National Park is this spot This is called the Painted Mountain. And the Painted Mountain from from the river bed at the bottom all the way to the top of the rim is is 2,250 feet. Now for reference, the tallest Great Pyramid is 450 feet. Um, So you can fit like a few of those in there. Right. Uh, now, when I saw this and we went and we were looking at it, and you're kind of go to this lookout pot and you're kind of looking over the edge. When I was there staring at this beautiful rock face, this incredible, massive canyon, not once did I ever think about my wrestling champion, my regional wrestling championship I won when I was a junior in high school. That thought just didn't cross my mind. I didn't look at that and be like, man, I was a big deal in high school. I never once, I never once had that thought. I was overwhelmed with the smallness of who I am. And I actually, I really enjoy it. And if you've ever been to a place like this or seen something like this, you're overwhelmed with the glory and the grandeur of what it is. And that simultaneously, just the smallness that you feel there. I was completely aware of my smallness. Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 1. He says, for his invisible attributes, talking about God, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, Paul says. He says nobody has an excuse, because you could see it all around you. Now, we'll blow by it, or we'll kind of use some other excuse for it, we'll try to justify why that isn't really what it is, but this is the unrecognized revelation that God's communicating to us and missing it. And one of the reasons that we need to be actively engaged in our communities and our neighborhoods and around the world is because we have friends and neighbors and coworkers who have unrecognized revelation. They see it, they feel it, they just don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to put it all together. And if you're intimidated about telling people about Jesus, this really is one of the simplest ways that you can evangelize, that you can tell people about Jesus. You just simply listen to their experience and you see them in it. And the things that they're feeling because they're just part of being a human or the things that they recognize in the world. And you see that image on the screen, you're like, that's not very good. When you have this experience, you're like, my heart really aches towards that or I feel towards that. I feel like there's something bigger. You are the one who's in their life as we move actively in every sphere of life, moving with the message like, yes, this is why you experience this because it's pointing to something bigger. It's pointing to someone bigger. You're created in the image of God to be in relationship with Him. And this is how you connect those dots. So we need to be actively engaged in all of life because Christ did not die on the cross. He died on the cross not for those who might believe, but for those who will. And so we go into every sphere of life full confidence that there are men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth who Jesus has purchased with his blood. And John tells us, Born not of human blood, and not of the will of the flesh, and not of the will of man. But of the precious blood of Jesus. This is why we need to be witnesses who bear witness, because he has given many the right to become sons of God. So you have this kind of unrecognized revelation, and then you have an, an unwanted revelation. Look at verse 11. He, which is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So here you have Jesus. He's putting on flesh, and he's walking among us, and before, if it was like a, what is this? I don't really know what this is. Now it's, it's an unwanted revelation. An unwanted revelation is like, I get what you're saying about Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that. It's the unwanted revelation. Say so I, I know who you're saying God is, but I want God out of my life. I want God out of my choices, I want God out of, of, of my sexuality, I want God out of my bank account, I want God out of my preferences, I want God out of, of, of my freedoms, and the Bible has a word for that, it's called sin. Sin. We say, God, I don't want you. I want you out of my life. And we have all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of angst in this world. And it's rooted in this sin. It's rooted in our rebellion against God. And it's not just a sin that's out there. It's a sin that's in us. And if we went around this room and we started talking about, well, what are the places of your biggest regrets in life? They would all be the places where we said, God, get out. Get out of my relationship. Get out of my life. And for Jesus to be revealed as the Son of God, the Christ, the life and the light of the world, and to be rejected, There's almost always two factors of why that happens. The first one is this idea that we really don't need Jesus. The prevailing thought that, look, we're, we're doing all right. We don't really need Jesus. We don't really need a Savior. I don't need a Savior, or I'll just find a Savior that fits me better. And what we've proven, if you've lived long enough over and over again, um, is that we really can't save ourselves. It doesn't stop us from trying, and culture continually props up other saviors that we can kind of go after. And we always continue to try to manufacture a new savior. But we've learned we can't save ourselves, and the scripture talks about that. But we have all these different kind of saviors that we'll try to prop up or construct. It might be a relational savior. And we have this thinking, we're like, if I could just find the right person, if I could just find the right person, that will save me. But if I got to find the right person, that means I got to be the right person. So I have to jump through all these hoops and I have to do all these things. And I have to go on this diet and I have to do this self-improvement class. And I have to do all these things because I want to be the right person so I can find the right person. So that person will save me. It might be a financial savior, if I could just accumulate, accumulate can't even say it. You can tell I don't have a financial savior. Um, if, if I can just gain enough, if I can just earn enough, if I can just save enough, if I can just have enough, that will save me. A technological savior, if we make enough advancements, if we make enough improvements, we have a political savior. If the right person will just get into power, if the right policies will be in place, it'll save our country. And we've had Republican presidents and we've had Democratic presidents and all of them have let us down in some way or another. It turns out that they can't actually save us. And I'm not saying that politics doesn't matter and I'm not saying that legislation can't change things. Of course they do and it's important. Give your vote to your politician but don't give them your heart. And let's not lose our faith over politics. Another reason... Another reason that we can think we don't need a savior is because that we believe the type of currency that God accepts is the, is the money of morality. So we don't think we need Jesus because we're, we're doing pretty good. We look around and we're like, well, my neighbor... Is very immoral. <laughs> My, you know, I, I, At least I'm not, or hey, I'm still doing... We, we kind of qualify all these things because we think like, well, as long as I'm still in this kind of category and I haven't moved into another realm of wrongdoing, then I'm still doing all right. And the prophet Isaiah says, look, all of our righteousness, all of our rightness is as filthy rags. So when you have this thought like, I don't really need Jesus because I'm really not that bad, God's saying that's not what I accept in regards to salvation. That's not the currency that gets you into glory. Revelation is something we receive, not something that we earn. And if it's not that, then it's a belief that, well, God's going to reject us. Meaning we either think like, I don't really need God because I'm kind of doing okay. The other thinking would be, well, if God knew about my past or what I'm currently involved in or addicted to, God doesn't want anything to do with me. And so to save myself the pain of God rejecting me, I'm just gonna reject God first because there's things that I struggle with that I know that God will never accept. And that line of thinking is probably one of the more arrogant imaginable to think that somehow you've out sinned the cross and resurrection of Jesus is really a far more arrogant thought than some of the other errors because the Bible, it reads like a who's who of people who could never even get a job here at this church. If you got King David, you're like, Hey, this is a great resume. Um, you're a really an amazing worship leader, but we did a background check and, uh, We found some stuff there It's not really going to work. So you raped a woman and killed her husband. So I'm afraid you're going to have to go, man. I don't even think you could be a small group leader here, let alone worship leader. Moses uh, also killed a guy. Seems to be a theme here. Um, And every time you don't get your way, you just kind of freak out, strike rocks, use your staff. You really fly off the handle. You're not going to work out. And you could go through person after person after person in the Scripture Unless, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll give you those guys, and Jesus, right? But you go through person after person, and we are like, they're just a train wreck. But God pulls them in, empowers them, and uses them. Why is that? And John tells us, because we're not children of God by our own efforts. We're not children of God by our own resumes. We're not children of God by our wills, but by God's power. And that's why he does it that way. That's why he always picks the weak and the frail and moves towards them. And you see in this passage the real tragedy of humanity's rebellion against God. And so God reveals himself through the creative order. He reveals himself by making us in the Imago Dei. He reveals himself by giving a conscience. And then this text here in John, what he says is he actually stepped into creation. He put on flesh. And it's not that we just didn't want that. We actually killed that. And so now, however you think about how God sees you, how God thinks about you, how God responds to you, what you see in the Bible and what John is laying out for us is that God moves towards his children in love. In the the movie Taken, and again, if you've never seen any of these movies and I'm ruining for you, I'm sorry, you had like six months of doing nothing and they're all out. You could have watched all these movies. But in the movie Taken, uh, there's a man with a particular set of skills, and um, his daughter is kidnapped and taken, hence the title. Um, And so when you see that, what does Liam do? Is he like, oh, man, that's a huge bummer. Well, you know, I got other kids, so I think I'll be okay. No, no this guy goes bananas. He goes racing across oceans and he goes into some really tough places and does some really gnarly things to rescue his girl and bring her back. Now, could you imagine after that, it cuts to a scene and there's this girl and it's his daughter and she's laying in bed and she's staring at the ceiling because she can't sleep at night and she's thinking these thoughts. I wonder how my dad feels about me. I wonder if he's really for me and if he has my best in mind. I wonder if my father really loves me. You'd think, no, are you crazy? Watch the movie. Watch what he does. He blows up factories. He hurt people real bad. He was relentless and nothing could stop him from coming to get you. This is why every week we come together around the word of God and we sing the songs like we do and we take communion like we do in just a moment. Because you and I need to be reminded of what God has done for us to know that you are loved by looking again at what he did, by looking at the cross of Christ and seeing the love of God displayed in full, full HD. And some of you, some of you, you need to actually hear that for the very first time. we, We need to be reminded of this because the enemy wants to lie to you, to steal your confidence in the Father, to cause you to run away from him, not towards him, to convince you that you are unlovable, to steal your future and your faith. And what John is taking us into and showing us is that love sends and it moves towards the beloved. How do you know that you're loved by God? How do you know that God the Father loves you? Look what he did. He didn't send a text message. He didn't stop at a book or a prophet. He sent his very best for you. He sent his son. The reality of Jesus stepping into our world shows us that God loves us. John's going to write a little bit later. We're going to read, God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only son, because love does not sit still while the beloved is far away. Christianity is not just a group of people who just signed off on trying to obey a bunch of rules. We're not a bunch of people who are just better at making commitments to good things than other people. Christians are people who have got the message that Jesus brought, that John is writing about. The Son of God has come for us because he loves us, and I believe it, and I receive it. And you can know today that you are loved by God if you look at Jesus. You look at his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice on the cross, him crucified for the rebellion of humanity. Look at the power of his resurrection, his victory over Satan, sin, and death. And when you do, you will see the love of the Father. And I want to close with one last story for means of application, because we can hear this. And some of us, we've heard this many, many, many times. But I want to really drive home with kind of application. So what do we do? do? Like if I'm loved in this amazing way, if John is laying out for us all the ways in which the Father has sent towards the beloved and sending its very best, how do I respond with my life to that love? Uh, And I want to close with a story, but it's not my story. It's my friend Corey's. So if you would, just help me welcome Corey uh, to the stage. So, um... Corey and Shannon Butler and Alicia Carter and Connor McKenzie all lead this ministry called 710. Uh, it's a young adult and uh, college ministry that meets on Tuesday nights over in the commons at 710 p.m. So it's a ministry I was a part of for a long time. It's under new management right now and doing very, very well. God's really doing some super, super cool things in that community. And um, Corey and those, those guys are some of my favorite people on planet Earth. And uh, I stopped by 710 just a few weeks ago. And uh, her Heard Corey share this story, and I said, man, the church has got to hear that, and it fits really well with um, where I think we're going here. So Corey, would you just kind of talk about your story of uh, lived love?
1: Yeah. Um, I guess to make sense of the story in the first place, I'll let you know a little bit of the situation kind of I was in. Um, so we, we're teaching through a series in 710 called Love Is, where we're really just trying to like, slow down and ask the question, like, what is the love of Jesus actually like? What is it actually like when you slow down and look at his life? And uh, I was uh, about to teach a message on incarnational love, which is this idea that whenever Jesus loves people, he puts himself in their world to understand it from their perspective and then moves towards them in love. And so I was looking at two passages particularly. One, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So like everything that I'm asking you to do is to do to others what you would have them do to you. And then there was one other story um, in Mark 10 towards the end of the chapter where there's a blind man named Bartimaeus. And uh, he's sitting and he's been begging at the city gates for a long time. And um, he he hears that Jesus is coming into the city. And he says, son of David. And he yells, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, Jesus, um, he tells his disciples to to bring Bartimaeus to him, and uh, Jesus asks him a question, and it's such a powerful question. He goes, what do you want me to do for you? And the reason that's such a powerful question is whenever we love people, we always try to fix them. Like, we like to be in control of the situation, and what Jesus was showing us in that story is that he lost control in the situation to let Bartimaeus determine how he could love him. So I'm, I'm thinking through the story, and I'm processing it, and I'm about to share it to the 710 community, and I'm sitting there on Sunday night, and one of the things we do in 710 uh, every time we preach is we, uh, on Monday, we preach it to the team, and um, Paul's there a majority of the time, and so it's Sunday night, and I have just a bunch of points about my message, but I don't have a story. So it's 7 p.m., like, and I cannot figure out my message. I'm like extremely frustrated, like extremely frustrated like when God doesn't show up in the time that you want, you just get mad. That's where I was. And uh, so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna go on a walk. And uh, so I get up, uh, Crystal, my wife, who's sitting right there. I was like, I'm just gonna go on a walk. I just need to catch some breath. And uh, I don't know if you know, but it's really hot outside. So I was gonna do a little short walk, but I just decided like, I'm just so flustered. I'm gonna go on a walking path by my house. I'm just gonna walk and I'm just gonna pray. And literally, I'm just, like, walking down this path for, like, ten minutes. And you know when you're, like, kind of in a desperate state, you don't have, like, all these, like, fancy words for God. You just ask the same thing over and over and over and over. And I'm like, Lord, like, please give me a story. Lord, please give me a story. For, like, three-quarters of miles, like, just ten minutes, I'm just asking God for a story for him to do something in me. And uh, I'm walking, and all of a sudden, I look up after praying these words, and I look to my left... And there's a homeless man sitting right there. And where I live, you have to understand, I never see homeless people. Like, never. And um, so I stand and I look over, and the Lord goes, this is what uh, you're going to do tonight. You're going to care for him. I'm like, Lord, i got a message to write about love. (laughs) It's 7 p.m. I have to preach it to Paul on Monday. He's like, this is what you're doing tonight. And so... um, so I look over, and I don't know if you guys have this experience, but if there's somebody who's experiencing homelessness, you look away, so you don't have to get involved. Well, I make eye contact with him. He makes eye contact with me, and I'm like, all right, here we go. And he goes, hey, uh, do you want to smoke some weed? I was like, no, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 do you have any weed? I said, no, I actually don't have any weed. And, uh, and then God's like, just go talk to him. Go talk to him. So I go up, and uh, I'm like, hey, uh, my name's Corey, I just you know, walking down the trail. What's your name? He goes, my name is Dean. And Dean's like 57 years old. He's an older man. He's sitting there. And there's literally like this, this concrete kind of bench. He has all his stuff there. He's, he doesn't have a shirt on. And he has like a pillow that's maybe six inches by six inches, this tiny little thing. And um, right when I was about to ask him um, or, or tell him what I could do for him, <laughs> guy goes, what, were, what question were you going to ask the 710 community? Uh, what can I do for you? <laughs> so I go up and I'm like, Hi, Dean. I'm like, what can I do for you? And he goes, he, and he tells me his story and what's happening. And um, what happens is, so he lives in California and he came all the way to Arizona midsummer because his daughter Tiffany is in jail. Um, and she's been in jail for like eight years. She's like 23. She's like my age. I'm 24. Anyways, <laughs> so, um, he, uh, so he's telling this story, and I just, I remember talking to him, like, Dean, you must love your daughter a lot to travel out to Arizona, not enough money to stay anywhere, just so you can see your daughter. So I'm just in this moment, and I'm just like, I'm just really, like, my God is stirring my heart with compassion for Dean. And um, I'm like, so what can I do for you? He goes, I'm just trying to get back home. Like, I don't have enough money to get back home to California and um, I'm like, well, how much money do you need? He's like, I need like 40 bucks or something like that. I was like, okay, I can do that for you. And then I was about to leave. And God goes, what teaching of mine were you going to teach the 710 community? So, I, And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, God's like, you're going to let him sleep out here? You're, you're going to let him go without a shower, without clothes? And you're just going to let him sit there? And so I'm like, you know what, Dean? Listen, I was like, uh, I want to help you tonight. I'm going to take care of you tonight. And I said, let's just walk back to my house, if you don't mind. He's got like a really bad hip, so he's like limping the whole time. I was like, you can just walk back to my house with me. It's a little bit of a longer walk. And I said, well, I just want to hear your story, and I'm going to take care of you tonight. And so we're walking, and I'm, I'm listening to his story. And um, he's telling me about his, his past and where his decisions have taken him and how much he's regretted the place that he's been in. And um, immediately the passage in Matthew 25, at the very end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus goes, um, where he, he's, he's separating the, the sheep from the goat, and, and, and he looks to the sheep and he's like, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I had no clothes, you clothed me. And in that moment, I like broke down in my heart because I felt like, it's hard to explain, but for three quarters of a mile, in the dark, with Dean right here. I just felt like I was walking with Jesus. I just felt like I've experienced the presence of Jesus. And you know, sometimes it's more tangible than other times. But in that moment, I felt like I was walking side by side with my Savior. And um, so my heart's just being broken. And then at the end of the walk, he goes, Corey, you know what's really interesting about this? He goes, "Two uh, two weeks ago, I met a Christian and he told me about Jesus. And he told me that Jesus loved me and that there's forgiveness found in his name. And I'm just like at this point, like my whole like heart is just like overflowing with uh just I'm just broken for him. And um so I'm like, Dean, I was like just uh, my garage is in the back at my house. I was like, "Hey, if you just wait, put your bike there. I gotta go explain to my wife what's happening right now." <laughs> so <laughs> I, I go inside. And I go, Crystal. I was like, "I'm gonna explain this all later." There's a guy coming. He's gonna use our shower, and we're gonna take care of we're gonna take care of him. Tonight. She's like, "Okay." So I let him use my shower, and then God's like, "You're gonna let him go back out there and sleep. On a, you're gonna give him a shower and then let him go sweat." in 100-degree weather. He's like, you complain when it's 75 degrees in the house. <laughs> and I was, I was like, okay, Lord. Uh, I don't feel comfortable in my house, but yes, I will. I'll put him up tonight. And, um, and so he, he, he takes a shower, he comes downstairs, and then he has like a 48-ounce like cup full of vodka and Gatorade. And he knocks it over on accident. Literally spills all over my table, like all over the floor. And I'm just like, the Lord is really teaching me a lesson right now. <laughs> and um, so we're talking, Crystal comes down at this point, because she's grading, because she's a teacher. And uh, I introduce uh, Crystal to, uh, to Dean, and Dean's just saying, like, your husband's so kind. And each time that he, he would just say anything, I was just like, Dean, Jesus is loving you. Dean, Jesus is loving you. And then it really broke my heart. We're about to leave, and I'm about to take him to the hotel. And he pulls out a picture and um, so, get in this guy's world. He's 57. His whole life is it's gone. There's, n- there's no hope, humanly speaking, that he could just make it up. And he shows me a picture of his old wife. He shows me a picture of his two daughters. And he goes, this daughter hates me now. And he goes, "He goes. I wish I could go back to this moment. And Because um, he's made a mess of his life. And, there's, and he's like, I wish I could go back to a place where I was loved again. And that's what he was saying. And it just completely broke my heart. So anyways, we go to the grocery store. I get him the money. We talk football. And um, we end up going to the Best Western. And I just pay for uh, him to stay there for a night. I I put him up in his room, get his bike in. We get it all figured out. And at the very end, he goes, "Um, Corey, I just, I feel like, um," he goes, I feel like God is doing something. Like, I don't get why two weeks ago I met a Christian. And then randomly on this walking path, I meet another Christian. And I just told him, I said, Dean, Jesus is coming after you. I said, Dean, Jesus is coming after you. And I, and I wrote my name down. I wrote down my number, and I gave it to him. And I went home, and one of the things I just so vividly remember the Lord saying is, like, now you have a message for 710. <laughs> and um, in that moment, I just, God taught me, one, um, he always shows up on time, even when it's not your timing. And um, it just made me think, I'm like, man, if I would just be more aware to what Jesus is leading me to do in a moment, like all those same moments that I could have done the same thing, and I just kept walking, because all the excuses that we always do, oh, like, you know, he asked me for drugs, why in the world should I give him money, like all that stuff. And then I start recounting the gospel, where was like, well, how much have I given you grace and you've abused it? Like, you don't, you haven't deserved the thing that I've given you. And you've wasted a lot of what I've given you. And I just keep loving you. And God's like, now go do that to somebody else. And so that's what the Lord taught me.
0: In that. That's awesome. Thank you. And, um, and God's using that to teach us, to, because we're loved in such this incredible way where the word and the light and the life and the Lamb of God have come, where love has sent its very best for the beloved. God moves towards us in love in the person of Jesus. That's where John is taking us, and my prayer and my hope, my hope, is that we would move towards and through the world in that same kind of love. Let's pray and ask God to do that for us. God, as the band comes now and we get ready for this moment of communion, um, I thank you for, I thank you for what you allowed Corey um, and his wife, God, to just encounter in you and in loving Dean, and right now, God, I just, I pray for Dean. I pray, God, that you'd save him. I pray, God, that light would come to his world and that he'd have a revelation of how deeply he is loved by you. Um, God, I pray for us as a church, that as we journey through John's gospel and look at you, Jesus, that that, that these would not just be words on a page and that these would not just be stories, um, but God, that they would be a prescribed way for us to live our life. And God, now as we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded, Jesus, of your life and your death, and we celebrate your resurrection and proclaim them until you come again. That's in your name we pray. Amen.